Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Desi Desi Podcast. I'm your host, Akash Bhatt, and each week I speak to investors and operators investing and building products in India. This week on the show with me, I have Radesh Kanamuri, Managing Partner at Suvan Ventures, an early stage cross border SaaS fund. Radesh is an industry veteran who spent close to 20 years at IBM with roles across technology, sales, and business development. During his last four years there, he led IBM India's startup initiative, working exclusively with B2B startups, providing mentorship and connections to the right set of people in the ecosystem, enabling them to successfully and rapidly scale. He then went on to become the managing partner at Arca Venture Labs, where he made 27 investments and had four exits. Today, we sit across each other and discuss cross-border SaaS investing and everything Radesh has learned during his time investing as a VC in Indian startups. So without further ado, here's my conversation with him. Radesh, welcome to the DCVC podcast. I've been looking forward to having this conversation with you for a good number of weeks now, and I'm so glad that we're able to make it work. I know while you were here in the US, it was a little difficult as you were fundraising. I'm so glad we're able to sit down today and talk at length about everything that's SaaS investing. So welcome to the DCVC podcast. Well, thank you, Akash. Uh, it's a pleasure for me to come into your podcast and uh, uh, really excited about the conversation that we're going to have. Well, the pleasure is all mine and I wanted to kick things off with your journey. And I really like how all of that has culminated together to where you are today and how that has become a launchpad for Suwan Ventures. But for some of our listeners who may not be too familiar with the story, I'd like to really understand how did you initially find yourself in the midst of everything that's SaaS and then how did that transition into investments? Sure, sure. So basically, I have 18 years of stint in IBM. Uh, I joined IBM in 2000 as a tech specialist in the services arm of IBM at that point of time. And I was focusing on implementation, end-to-end uh, project implementation around uh, supply chain. And uh, then I said that after this, what... Uh, uh, and then I upgraded myself with a lot of certifications in different uh, middleware technologies at that point of time. Uh, I mean, like something called WebSphere application server, uh, N2 series, DB2, that's the database which uh, yeah, uh, competes with Oracle database. So I did a few certifications, I did uh, programming courses uh, in there, and then I upgraded myself to become a software architect in the software division of. Uh, uh, IBM India, and I was designing midwest solutions for uh, enterprise clients, system integrators, and ISVs across a whole array of technologies, right from uh, application servers to application integration, security, business intelligence, data warehousing, uh, IoT, uh, mobile applications, uh, application servers, uh, so infrastructure monitoring, application monitoring. And uh, at that, those uh, in those days, it was kind of a very cutting edge technologies, and uh, I really excited me in terms of uh, me solving clients' problem 
and uh, seeing that whatever solution that I designed were uh, getting executed and uh, either they were uh, helping them in improving their efficiencies or solving a major problem that they were facing or uh, reducing the cost of their operations. Uh, so that was very satisfying experience for me. Uh, and uh, also I was on uh, always on the uh, learning curve, uh, trying to uh, understand it, uh, like what's happening new in this particular space and then applying that into client, uh, client uh, situations. And uh, also I used to lead many of these software solutions which I had designed towards uh, sales closure because uh, they were very complex in nature. Some of them were very complex in nature. And uh, I had to kind of uh, do uh, like, you know, work very closely and work uh, very deeply involved till the sale of that particular uh, software, a set of softwares would happen. So it was a very good exposure for me around technology, around uh, sales and channels. And uh, then I was thinking then, what next? So incidentally, there was a role opening uh, for leading the startup initiative of IBM India. I, and I was doing, I was working as software architect for 12 years. I said, okay, let me try out something new. And uh, yeah, so I was basically uh, took up the role as uh, the country lead for uh, the startup initiative of IBM India where as a strategy, I work exclusively with uh, B2B startups in the country and help uh, many of the B2B startups scale in the journey by providing them with mentoring and then uh, providing them the connections to the customer ecosystem of uh, IBM India. And all the experience that I gained over the last uh, many years on technology, on sales, uh, business development channels, everything was kind of getting applied when I was working with uh, uh, B2B startups. And uh, I also used to conduct an annual B2B startup challenge called IBM India Smart Camp, where I used to pick some good B2B startups in the country and get them to present before investors, before CXOs and a whole lot of people in the startup ecosystem. And I also used to give them a lot of press coverage. Uh, so if you type now IBM India Smart Camp, you'll get a list of the finalists and the winners for 2014, 15, and 16. Uh, quite a few of the startups actually went on to raise their subsequent funding and then they have scaled pretty well. Uh, and uh, some of them are north of 500 million valuations. And uh, just around two months back, you must have heard that Hasura reached the unicorn uh, status. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I was the first to spot Hasura in 2015, and there was just a small member team, and uh, and then they subsequently raised uh, funding from uh, institutional investors and uh, sequoias and all, and then now they are scaled pretty well. So uh, in 2017, I was thinking that uh, now what next? Now uh, you know what is the next logical step? Uh, and the startup bug had bitten me at that point of time. So uh, I basically was reaching out to different funds in India to see that uh, can there be a carve out for B2B startups in the country, which not only invests into the startups, but also helps them with the hands-on mentoring and then provides the right connections. Uh, at that point of time, actually, there were hardly any B2B focused 
uh, funds at that point of time. So uh, Loom liked the idea and then they became an anchor investor uh, along with two other funds in the valley. And uh, uh, so Arca Venture Labs was formed in August 2018 and I raised the uh, remaining corpus through my network uh, in Bali, Singapore, and uh, India. And the whole thesis was to invest in B2B tech product companies uh, yeah, from India and looking to sell in the US. Uh, basically, what I had seen is that uh, SaaS companies, uh, when, if they are just focused on India, their ability to scale is very limited because the market is not that uh, big enough or deep enough. And uh, they realized that after three to four years of their operation, and then they start looking into how they can go about looking into the markets in US and Europe. So the idea of Arta Venture Labs was to see that if they can get their focus for global markets right from day one, instead of realizing that after three, four years. So, uh, so yeah, that's how we went about. And uh, till end of last year, uh, we had made 27 investments uh, across different uh, sectors, verticals. So we have made investments in retail tech, sales tech, marketing tech, uh, uh, and then we made investments in cloud infrastructure, DevOps, machine learning, energy tech, health tech, uh, so, and out of the 27 investments, uh, we got four exits and uh, 10 companies have got their up rounds, subsequent up rounds from the likes of B Capital, Nexus, Sequoia, Matrix, uh, Lightspeed, uh, Facebook. So, yeah, I think the, so far, the, I mean, uh, so I think capital was more or less deployed. Uh, then I was thinking that now what next? So that's how I decided to set up my own independent fund, uh, which is uh, Soul Ventures. So that's a fantastic combination of SaaS operating experience along with experience supporting startups, either through investments or through IBM's um, startup and share program itself. And you are well positioned to discuss everything that SaaS and everything that's focused to Indian SaaS for that matter. And uh, before we go any ahead, I'm really curious to understand and set some base level context for most of our listeners who may be or may not be familiar with SaaS investments as such. And I think the beauty of SaaS businesses is that it, they're easier to value uh, because most of the valuations either done on gross revenue or ARR. I was wondering if you could decipher this for all of our listeners in terms of what are the best ways to evaluate a SaaS startup? And what are some of the things that somebody will look for at a pre-seed at a seed stage? Because both are slightly different. At a pre-seed, you obviously don't have a lot of revenue, but there is an MVP. You're trying and testing out a product and a model. And at the seed stage, you have the product and you're perhaps showing early signs of pre-product market fit. So I'd like to understand from your perspective, how would you evaluate in two different stages? Yeah, so actually the definition of, uh, you know, pre-seed and seed has been varying across companies to companies. Uh, companies which are uh, uh, like at uh, 
a concept stage, uh, but because of the area that they are in and the pedigree that the founders bring in, uh, probably they might be, I think the first round itself, they'll be raising around uh, $10 million. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, founders with, uh, you know, MVP and uh, probably, uh, you know, no revenues, probably they might be at seed stage, but you may also end up looking at the founders who are having certain set of revenues and they are still raising pre-seed money. So it has been like uh, varying in terms of the combinations that I've been seeing over the last few years. Uh, but fundamentally, what I would like to say is that the stage in which I come in, uh, so I would look into uh, at least a MVP in place and uh, look into the uh, ability of the founders to execute. Uh, so basically, I look into uh, the product differentiation. Uh, second is that I look into the problem that they're solving. How big is that problem and how painful is that particular problem and how large is the market? What is their competition, competitive differentiation, and uh, what is the ability of the founders to capture the large addressable market. So primarily, this is how uh, I look into these parameters. And uh, uh, yeah, and so basically, even if they are at an MVP stage, but they have a potential to kind of uh, uh, grow and uh, scale in the revenues, so that's a, uh, definitely a good bet to kind of the money in. Uh, and uh, what I've seen is that companies which are very early in their life cycles, a fund with operational experience can make a lot of difference in their uh, operations and their uh, execution uh, because what we are bringing in is the uh, entire uh, experience of uh, our own background, but also working with a whole lot of SaaS companies. Uh, so all that is getting distilled and pro, and it's like kind of one-on-one -on -one, uh, inputs that are, that they're getting in. So that definitely helps uh, founders, especially in the early stages. And also what happens is that uh, if we are having, we, if we can make some introductions to potential partners or system, integrate, system integrators for collaboration or potential customers, uh, potential investors uh, for uprounds or co-investments. So that also makes a lot of difference in their, uh, in, in their ability to scale. So that, that, that's something that uh, from Suwan is what uh, we intend to kind of bring it to the core for the founders. You brought up some really interesting points there, especially when it comes to evaluation of teams. What I'm really also curious to understand here is how do you build the value of the technology into a SaaS business? Because you can easily invest a million dollars into the business before the platform generates any value. And really building that at the core of a SaaS business is so important. And the way you actually go about thinking about building that core also then sets you apart from some of your competitors. Because there, there could be two companies tackling very similar problems. Like, for instance, we can take Slack versus Microsoft Teams. Um, your customer base is the same. You're, you're literally building and going after the same uh, market. But the way you approach both the problem statements, the way you bring in the value, which is then built into the technology itself, really sets you apart from the other 
and also ends up either bringing you a lot of revenue or or ends up being your downfall so today when you're building these saas businesses how do you really think about building that tech value into the technology itself how do you how should founders think about um building it if they're building it from scratch today yeah so one is uh, basically if if they are first of its kind then i guess uh, you know uh, there is no like uh, uh, and they are the first one to kind of go and implement it so they don't have to compare with uh, any other solution but if uh, typically what i have seen in uh, indian saas companies is that they are going to spaces where there are already some uh, players uh, existing uh, in that case uh, one has to look into is that uh, what is the total uh, addressable market and uh, will there be space for uh, you know uh, newcomers to come into that particular uh, problem uh, this is problem area that they are solving in uh, if yes then uh, what are the ways in which they can capture that addressable market now, there are different ways to kind of capture the market uh, either through uh, product uh, differentiation or through uh, you know ease of use or ui ux uh, better ui ux uh, third is basically uh, you know the uh, the kind of uh, icps that one would define for example their competitions might be focused on enterprise line but there's a large segment of smbs who are like uh, been left out so if they want to focus on the smb space so that's another area of uh, you know differentiation they can have they can also have differentiation in terms of economics which most of the indian saas companies are pretty good as compared to their counterparts in the uh, us or in europe so they can look into having this economic uh, differentiation they can also look into uh, the customer experience uh, and the ability to kind of uh, implement in a much faster and smoother fashion so and according to that uh, they will basically go about doing the they need to have that playbook in place which means that uh, what value that they are offering uh, and uh, and then basically how that value is uh, what is that differentiation point which i discussed before all these things should be coming out in their branding and marketing and uh, based on the icps that they define they have to define those set of customers and uh, have a process defined in terms of how they going to reach out to those set of customers with regard to the right messaging right branding and uh, follow ups again and they also need to have a, a process defined like what happens when the customer first signs in after that uh, what is the like uh, next way to kind of convert that into a paid customer and if you already paid customer then what is the way in which they can go for upsell uh, so those those kind of uh, playbooks need to be in, in place and uh, again uh, my sense is that uh, uh, indian saas companies are very good on the engineering side but when it comes to the playbook of uh, the go to market motions uh, i think uh, a lot can be done uh, for uh, for the, for indian saas companies so you you touched upon quite a few topics out there and one thing that really stood out to me in all of that was branding now branding within saas is not something that immediately strikes somebody's mind 
I mean, yeah. it can definitely turn out to be your secret weapon to thrive in the most competitive industry, but it's not something that automatically stands out to you because when you think about branding, you typically think of consumer companies, consumer internet companies, technology com- consumer technology companies, or even D2C products for that matter. Yes. But every single SaaS company has something to offer yeah. and an audience that is potentially interested. So is it enough to just build a product out there, but not really ha- make a brand or have a um, recall value in, in the industry? Of course, it's very detrimental if you don't. And that's one some of the things that the most successful companies have done a really good good job of. And being a brand is one thing, but to do branding is another, if you know yes. what I mean. Yeah. The first is nothing more than a company name. And the second is a marketing practice. And branding is what a SaaS company needs to enhance brand recognition and make it possible for current and potential customers to easily identify with it. Now, I'd really like to understand how does a founder at the early stage, now let's say we're talking about pre-seed or seed, both. Typically at pre-seed, you may not think about branding too much. You're probably thinking about, hey, let's work on our product. Let's get this out. Let's get some feedback from our customers. Let's go back and reiterate. Let's focus on the engineering and the product side of things. But where branding really comes into place has to be around that seed stage-ish life cycle. But we still see a lot of founders struggling with it, especially within Indian SaaS, perhaps for a number of reasons, because maybe a lot of them have not been exposed to branding as a science and a practice. But if today you're a founder building an early stage company, pre-seed, and you're thinking about your seed stage, you're thinking about, you know, maybe 12, 24, 36 months ahead, branding then becomes an extremely important aspect of your marketing. Absolutely. And it's counterproductive if you if you don't. So yes. what is your suggestion and what are your learnings from looking at could be some of your past portfolio companies and the ones who have really done a successful job at branding and how did they go about doing so? Yeah, so uh, like, you know, any touch point uh, where, uh, you know, the and, and you rightly mentioned that one, the the time when they need to start focusing on the branding is basically once they need to get acquired customers and uh, you know and basically uh, you know and, and scale uh, on the revenues uh, and uh, basically what uh, and, and different interactions with uh, all the stakeholders uh, external stakeholders uh, that's where uh, you know the branding starts building in uh, it starts from the simple way is the website. Uh, and uh, how easy is it for a end customer or anybody who is external to the company uh, to understand the value proposition? I think uh, quite a few companies uh, miss out. Uh, like either they are too verbose on defining what their value proposition is, or they kind of uh, miss out uh, telling what their value proposition. So the key would be to kind of put that. Uh, their offerings and their differentiations in a very short, succinct manner, uh, which is, uh, you know, uh, like easily uh, like digested by, uh, palatable by uh, customers or anybody who is uh, excellent to the organizations. That starts with the website. Uh, second is uh, the way they kind of have their different uh, social media channels. Uh, could be 
LinkedIn or Twitter, typically these are the two channels which uh, startups would normally put in. So start from there, like uh, what kind of uh, messaging that they want to put out in these two uh, social media channels. So this is another way of uh, uh, building those uh, brand. And then third is basically uh, how uh, like uh, the customer experience. Once a customer gets onboarded, uh, what is the kind of his experience? How easy or difficult? So for example, if it is a product led role, uh, the customer first goes and registers himself. Whether he's able to do the task uh, which uh, the company is intended to do it, uh, that also leads to a better customer uh, satisfaction. For example, one of the companies that we had invested in Arca Venture Labs is a company called Obviously.ai. Now, Obviously.ai, what it does is that uh, it brings the power of machine learning in the hands of business users in the SMB space. So a business user would kind of upload his transactional data to Obviously.ai. And Obviously.ai has kind of thousands of machine learning models. And we'll figure out which model or combination of model works best for the data set. And, uh, and once they are applied, uh, the end customer is able to now do predictions around what is the probability of customer churn or uh, what is the probability, what is the forecast of a sales for the next coming months or uh, uh, what is the price uh, he needs to set up for a particular segment of customers. So all this kind of questions around predictions. Now, if uh, their UI and UX is, needs to be in such a way that it's kind of a self-serve way of doing things. So he just goes very intuitively finds out that this is where I need to upload my transaction data. These are the columns which are missing right now or the data is uh, of garbage and then I need to delete those columns and then, you know, press my, uh, like, you know, what column that I want to do, the prediction, it all needs to be kind of very intuitive. And if this is not intuitive, then you can imagine the kind of, uh, you know, the customer uh, uh, recall he will have whenever he thinks of a company. So that's, uh, again, the, uh, you know, the experience that one would offer to their end customer is a very important role in the branding. And the last thing I would talk, talk about is uh, SEOs. So, if one, uh, I'll take the example of study. If uh, one types no-code machine learning tool, uh, you'll pro you'll probably get obviously.ai in the first uh, result, the topmost result. So that's uh, uh, you know that's it. Like you know the way they have been working on the um, you know SEO over the last uh, few years, and that's how they got into the top place. So that again would uh, like uh, contribute towards the uh, branding uh, exercise. So multiple, uh, I would say, touch points and as well as some uh, channels for a company to kind of uh, set up their uh, branding image. And I think one of the other things that I want to add here, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this as well, uh, maybe something that is extremely underrated are customer success teams within um, SaaS companies, because yeah, I, because yeah, I strongly believe that um, you know they end up becoming the last touch point, and the way that you service your clients typically end up, you know, either you end up being on somebody's mind or you yeah, don't. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. 
and building Absolutely. that consistently is 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 very hard and i think some of the brands that do a very good job in terms of customer success automatically also end up nailing their whole branding and i think the beauty of saas businesses is that of course there's once you nail your customer base is revenue that's coming in month on month year on year um and loyalties within saas are slightly higher especially if you know you you you've worked with somebody for a long time unless there's somebody who's come in and really disrupted the market so much that you feel that there's that you need to move but even in such cases i still know businesses that still use skype as their core fundamental internal communication tool and how often do we hear about skype being um utilized for anything these days right and that just goes to show you that it works for some businesses and they they want to continue doing that yeah now that we are in agreement about that i want to switch gears a little bit and talk about vertical saas it's a very interesting area that's obviously gotten a lot of attention in the last couple of years within the india context so it would be fantastic if you could spend a couple of minutes and talk about your experience either investing or studying the space and how it's really blossomed over the last few years sure so i mean uh, basically if you look into vertical uh, solutions uh, verticalized solutions they have been in existence uh, before also uh, and for example if i take the example of hospitals all hospitals would need a hospital management systems and then there were many software players who were providing that uh, hospital management system similarly if i take banks uh, all banks would need a uh, you know core banking application so uh, and then you had like all these different software companies if you go to india for example there are like pinnacle there is uh, banks uh, which just focus on and there are a lot of other small companies like infrasoft or fss uh, fis uh, which focus only on the banking side now uh, but the difference has been that they were all on prem kind of an implementation so over the uh, and uh, over the years uh, as we moved into the cloud uh, that's where uh, saas companies started to uh, come into the play and uh, if you uh, and and i think most of the enterprises have their uh, bases running on for running the day to day operation they would have some of their uh, software uh, take the example of a bank or a manufacturing industries they will have an erp system in place bank would have a core banking system in place uh, and also different set of applications now when it comes to uh, the new age of uh, companies so uh, i think most of them would be born on the cloud and they will be offering their services as a, as a, uh, as a, as a, in the form of saas uh what they will probably look into is that how they can uh, you know solve a problem which is not being solved by the existing players of software in the current landscape to give an example i'll probably take an example that where we had made an investment uh, uh in arca labs a company called smia now what smia does is that for any medtech company if they have to go through uh, like you know if they have to launch in the us they have to go through fda approval and they have to pass through a 510k approval process now for any medtech company uh, you know uh, preparing the package for fda approval is very extremely cumbersome and error prone and what smia is doing is that it is using mach- machine learning and ai to create the packages based on the some of the inputs broad inputs that are being provided by the 
customer brought in now, so some detail. But what it does is that it reduces the time of creating the package, and it also, uh, you know, reduces the chances of error uh, while, while they are submitting it for FDA for uh, approvals, and also gives like you know what other competitions are doing uh, in that particular space in which a medtech company is kind of uh, applying for FDA approval. So this is basically already going and uh, solving a problem which probably uh, a medtech company, especially the regulatory compliance, may not have a software at that point of time. Uh, so that's one example. Another example, uh, like is uh, about, uh, I mean, this is not a kind of a critical SaaS, but uh, uh, it, it kind of uh, so gives out a very, uh, I'll take example, other example of, uh, first time, which is in the space of customer data platform, what uh, existing banks or uh, manufacturing companies, they already have their customer records and the ERP systems and the CRM systems, but uh, they will not know a 360 degree view of the customers. And what first time will do is that pull in all the data customer records from different, different uh, applications and then create a use machine learning to create a single identity of the customer and uh, like you know provide a like you know, and give give insights to marketers to say that you know this is what uh, the best way to reach out to this customer through this channel at this point of time at the right time so that that kind of uh, is a lacuna that is existing in any enterprise and that's how companies are so you know uh, getting in uh, like uh, fixed on those lacunas and then solving those problems so yeah, that's that's how probably uh, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give another example of uh, energy tech company called Enact System. Uh, what it does is that it provides uh, installers, uh, uh, solar rooftop installers, with uh, a software for doing 3D modeling of the installation that doing they'll be doing on solar rooftops and doing an entire project management of the solar rooftop installations. And once the solar rooftops are installed, uh, it provides a way for uh, monitoring the energy that is stored in the batteries and giving an optimum plan for end users to say that when they can draw the energy from uh, the batteries and uh, when they can draw the energy from the grid to give uh, uh, kind of an optimum pricing for, for them. So that's, that's basically, uh, if you look into that, uh, energy solar installers, for example, they may have a CRM application. Uh, they will probably uh, have a project management system, but having an integrated so solution is a big value add for them. And also for them to monitor the energy that is coming out and what is stored in the batteries and giving an optimum plan for end customers. Again, that, that's something uh, doesn't exist, uh, may not exist in, in, in many of the companies. So they would have, they would kind of use those kind of solutions. So basically, in a nutshell, what I'm saying is that uh, for any vertical SaaS companies, they will probably go in in areas where uh, the you know where there is the existing a problem which is not been solved by the existing player. So and typically, how they are using it is uh, the current uh, set of companies that are coming. Most of them are using AI there and machine learning uh, for solving those problems. Right. And I'm also curious to understand 
why vertical SaaS today seems to be a heavy area of focus for a lot of VCs. And I kind of get a couple of things why it's 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 really interesting. It's predictable trajectory, right? Even though the market is um, smaller, uh, you really get to target a specific vertical and capture a substantial market within that, which becomes a launch pad for expanding internationally into newer verticals. Then there's also layered offerings for consistent growth. And layered offerings typically now enable you to start thinking about what perhaps might be the next act years before a core product starts to even slow down. So when it comes to building new products, to cross-sell to an existing customer base, VSAS companies are perhaps uniquely positioned. And I also feel that within the M&A space, they're better positioned to either acquire or get acquired themselves more often better than horizontal SaaS companies. And consolidation across layers is an integral strategy to grow market share. And therefore, from a VC lens, top-tier companies tend to lean towards M&A or well-performing mid-tier companies look for exits quicker than they perhaps might in other sectors. Is this a fair enough estimation to say that this is why VCs love vertical SaaS or, or are there other factors as well that get tied into it? Yeah, so in terms of uh, focus of VCs, some VCs uh, look into the vertical SaaS. But there are other VCs also who are uh, like not only looking look into vertical SaaS, but also are uh, like uh, open for other horizontal uh, solutions. So, but yeah, some but people... I, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt you here, but are there reasons why say a VC will not be interested in vertical SaaS today? I know I don't think there is any VC who is not interested in vertical SaaS. What I'm saying is that the focus mm-hmm. will be not only vertical SaaS, but also horizontal and then also solutions which uh, are on certain business areas. For example, it could be HR tech, it could be supply chain, it could be uh, sales tech or marketing tech. So yeah. uh, pretty broad in terms of the focus. But then, uh, you, you, as you said, there are VCs who probably will probably look into this vertical SaaS. So, I mean, there are quite a few advantages of uh, having a vertical SaaS. And again, the thesis will be also very much dependent on VCs to VCs. Uh, but some of the things that uh, come into the fore is, I think you rightly mentioned about, uh, they have a very uh, like you know, a focused customer uh, segment that they can just focus on. And it's easier for them to, once they have that playbook defined, then just they go about scaling it. And uh, also the kind of uh, mergers and acquisitions, they know exactly it's a, it's a set of pool that uh, they can probably think of on getting acquired and obviously they want to acquire things and so yeah it's, it, it has its own set of uh, uh, pros and cons so uh, like you know and as i said vc to vc kind of vary their pieces uh, on uh, whether to go just focus on vertical SaaS or they want to go pretty generic in terms of SaaS uh, uh, companies or B2B product companies a very interesting point that you make there and uh, that kind of brings me to this question which i've been hanging on for a long time is evaluating market sizes for SaaS companies and the reason i waited up until now to really ask this question is because today you do have a horizontal players operating in vertical markets and vertical players wanting to also enter the horizontal space 
um because that's kind of like how you consolidate i guess a number of markets and then your your share in the market so when you're evaluating companies today say at the pre seed or or the pre seed or the seed stage how do you look at the market size and where is the potential because more often than not it's a very ambitious market space that yeah. most founders you know incorporate into their decks and even in their vision but executing against that sometimes is not that easy and personally when you look at it what do you tell yourself when you look at an ambitious market size that a company is is pitching while they have the potential to enter both either the horizontal or the vertical space if they're in the other one yeah if it is a horizontal uh, space uh, i think the initial stages uh, they have to focus on one or two verticals they just can't go expanding across all different uh, market segments so important to so say that what are the first one or two uh, segments market segments that they will be focusing on and uh, i typically do a bottom up analysis in terms of let's say they say that uh, they focus on healthcare uh, what is the icps they would like to go for uh, and for example if they are looking into hospitals having certain revenues of uh, certain uh, maybe 50 million north of uh, 50 million revenues how many such hospitals are there what is the ticket size for each of the hospitals and then arrive at the total addressable market for that particular vertical and then if you want to extrapolate that to other verticals then do a similar exercise and figure out like so it kind of comes to a little more realistic than a top down uh, market analysis uh, it kind of starts with uh, billions of dollars then uh, you know political down into serviceable uh, market and all that stuff so uh, i'm more uh, like i mean i look into those top down products uh, but it's typically the bottom up uh, uh, analysis that uh, i want to i think it's a very interesting point and um i'd love to hear your thoughts on how you and what you think about this but the way i also think about it is how much customer value is generated and how much customer value is generated for the first time i think that also becomes like a nice foundation for you to then start thinking about value creation associated with the potential market sizing opportunity and i think especially for newer saas companies vertical horizontal does matter where you fall into i think that will also be a good way to start evaluating um companies them uh, evaluating themselves as an organization while they're pitching to people is really to yeah, understand yeah. what is the value creation using value creation to be the foundation of uh, evaluating your market size yeah and uh, basically like in, in the initial stages uh, they themselves are not able to kind of most of the companies will kind of falter in terms of understanding what value they are creating and accordingly do the pricing uh, but i think over the uh, like over the months as they keep interacting with customers and all that they kind of keep cal- uh, calibrating the pricing Uh, based on the value perception that uh, they are seeing, and that kind of it kind of settles either in a month's time or maybe a year and for time frame where just uh, how they go about uh, getting the right uh, pricing structure based on the valuation. And I think that's so important, right? Getting pricing is so important for early stage SaaS companies because I think yeah. they a lot of people um, spend. time trying to figure out what is what is the best pricing model 
and how do you Absolutely. nail pricing models and i think that really defines again um a lot of companies and building playbooks around that within the india ecosystem is also different because when you look at an indian audience the offering is different when you're looking at um selling and positioning your company to um you know outside uh, markets maybe here in the us maybe in europe in different parts of the world it's completely different and how do you take your consumers places especially when say your customer your customers customer base also is actively growing how do you think about uh, saas and ultimately an accurately priced saas does two things provides value to the customer and gives companies a competitive market advantage because let's face it pricing is top of mind for a lot of businesses doesn't matter how big or small you are and customers might opt out of resubscribing if they feel that the prices are too high but you also need to change enough to keep your company afloat right oh yeah yeah absolutely absolutely it's uh, getting the pricing is uh, i would say one of the key task which uh, founders have to accomplish yeah and uh, i have not seen any founder getting it uh, right in the first first, first time day. yeah oh, oh, and, how, uh, how do you recommend like most founders think about this because there's cost based pricing there's comp- competition based pricing there's penetration pricing value based pricing freemium pricing how should somebody think about going ahead and experimenting at the early stages we're talking again about pre seed not even seed because at seed you hopefully have nailed some sort of your pricing model but at pre seed how are you thinking about or how should a founder be thinking about implementing uh, their pricing models yeah so typically they already have some benchmarks there mm-hmm. uh, and uh, if it is uh, like a already there are certain days there Uh, and based on that uh, benchmarks uh, they can go about pricing their uh, products uh, that's a good starting point mm-hmm. and uh, and then they can go about calibrating it uh, like in terms of how is the uh, reception of uh, customers uh, when they're using it if they uh, is it too low or is it too high yeah. or and then basically they can also look into how they can the different tiers of pricing that they can uh, put in so whether they want to put like a one month trial and yeah. then go about charging from the next month onwards for the base package what are the things they can bundle into the base package and uh, what is the next tier of pricing that they can offer and mm-hmm. within the next year what are the uh, you know additional features that they can give to their customers so all this is uh, need to be very well thought of and uh, mm. and it kind of one can go about calibrating those uh, uh, the bundles and uh, the pricing uh, as they go about also how the uh, companies they bundle in a, like a small set of uh, you know free hours of consulting also along with that or free hours of implementation also along with that uh, which is uh, excellent to the uh, product so those are the things also one can think about funding those and typically uh, saas companies have a very good uh, margin uh, so they can play a lot around on the pricing stuff agreed and if you get into the ana- anatomy of just saas pricing in general you kind of like think about one of two things either the pricing I mean, obviously, pricing a product is much better and easier than pricing a service, because pricing innovative SaaS services 
is probably thousand times more harder than everyday stuff. So no matter what SaaS pricing or process often reminds of picking numbers either out of thin air or you're doing a whole lot of guesswork, which is not a great, great pricing strategy for any startup to have. So whatever price you end up guessing in that case will either fall somewhere between one that is too high to generate any demand or one that is too low to cover expenses. So you'll hardly know if your customers appreciate your service more or you're leaving money on the table. And that is a headache, at least at the early stages for a lot of SaaS companies to like figure out. And of course, the ones, um, even the ones who have been there and, you know, have good amount of experience building it at mature enterprise SaaS companies may find to may find it a little difficult to struggle at the early stages because you're also, you're, you're, you're kind of dependent on market dynamics. You're dependent on what's happening in the economic world around you. So a lot of that really impacts your pricing as well. So what would your suggestion be to founders who are building it out in niche sectors? Because traditional sectors, yes, we understand this competitive pricing that's around you, but somebody who's entering a new market where there perhaps may or may not be a lot of players in today's climate, how, how would you suggest they should think about their pricing models and strategy? Yeah, so for example, if they're focusing on SMB space and there are already players in the enterprise uh, side, yeah, so that kind of they have some uh, benchmarks there, and they can think about you know, let's say the price of the enterprise product is around three hundred dollars, three hundred k per year, for mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so can I price it? Let's say start with like twenty five k or fifty k for the SME space. That's one way to look into that. Second is that uh, when uh, like you know the value that uh, they can think about. So, for example, quite a few pricing is done innovatively by saying that, you know, this is the kind of cost I can reduce by if you are using our solution. And, uh, you know, so some founders actually, some companies will say that the percentage of that saving that we're going to get will be a part of our pricing. But uh, others may not be that direct. But they'll say that, for example, we are saving you on an annual basis, like 100K, uh, but our price of the product is like 50K. You still end up like, you know, uh, 50K kind of saving because using our solution. Besides that, you're going to get some additional benefits like, you know, improving the productivity and all that stuff. So that's something how uh, people look into creation of uh, value creation. So that's uh, another way to kind of and I, I, I love it. I like, I like how we're thinking about some of the basic things, but these are things that most founders also get wrong. Now, a last couple of things that I wanted to discuss with you, especially as you're building out so one as well, is the value add. Because today, you cannot ignore SaaS companies, no matter what kind of an investor you are, unless you're a very vertical specific investor if you're an agnostic investor this is something that you will not and you cannot ignore because of the growth that we have seen within the uh, enterprise has space within india and uh, i mean just take a look at the numbers and you'll you'll know how much uh, growth there has been just in the last one or two years with 14 saas unicorns 2.6 billion dollars in combined saas revenue 150 plus saas startups with over 1 million dollars in arr uh, $4.5 billion of VC funding just from 2021, 40K plus uh, employees employed by Indian SaaS companies, both in India as well as global. 
Now, all of this just goes to show the immense potential that Indian SaaS market really has to, to, to give both domestically as well as international. And as you're thinking about supporting some of these companies at the early stages, how are you thinking about being part of their journey beyond the years that you can actually support them? Because some of your best performing portfolio companies will perhaps see greater valuations at later stages. And where you may typically end up seeing an exit would be in secondaries. And that secondaries may be up to your B or a C. Typically where some of these companies may or may not receive the higher valuations that they typically end up getting. So how are you thinking about one portfolio construction and two most importantly supporting your portfolio companies as well as there are enough number of vc funds out there and you know hnis and syndicates and it's such a competitive world uh within even indian vc and now because it's a SaaS play you have global um, cvcs and funds also participating just by the nature of the business and where the customer base lies which is here in the united states mostly what value add does suan hope to bring to the table and what can you share from your past experiences of supporting these companies to get to a point where they are ready to scale yeah so first uh, i would like to say that you rightly mentioned a lot of uh, everybody's betting big on uh, SaaS companies between india and us uh, corridor uh, that's number one and there are like reports from mckinsey reports from bain and capital about the potential of uh, Indian SaaS companies going global. And uh, yeah, I, according to me, the next wave, uh, 80s and 90s was a wave for services companies from India going global. And they're scaling very well, for example, Infosys or uh, Tech Mahindra or Wipro, ECS. Uh, I mean, they are all like uh, you know, more than a billion dollars in revenues. Uh, so like the next wave will definitely be coming from Indian SaaS companies. We already have started seeing some of that in terms of an IPO of uh, Freshworks, 15 plus uh, unicorns uh, in this uh, in this space. Uh, so definitely a lot of potential for Indian SaaS companies. Uh, second is that there are not many uh, funds who are just focused on SaaS and uh, that to uh, SaaS companies uh, between India and uh, US corridor. Uh, that's uh, that's the uh, other thing. And uh, quite a few of the other funds are actually very much generic in which they will probably put into B2C, B2C, B2B companies. Uh, so then third is basically the way uh, the like you know, uh, support uh, is provided is one is through the investment part. And second is uh, bringing in to the table the operational experience of uh, working deep into the technologies uh, and also going through the motions of sales motions of uh, software selling and then also working with uh, partners and channels and uh, ISVs, uh, bring that into the table. And then a whole lot of uh, experience of working hands-on with uh, portfolio companies and then helping them to scale uh, by providing very pointed inputs across different aspects of the business, could uh, be the product to product market fit, uh, go to market, or channel strategies, branding and marketing, and also the ability to connect to the subject matter experts on a specific area, which uh, becomes very important for companies in their 
early in their life cycle. So companies can actually, the founders can actually think of uh, uh, Suvan Ventures and extended arm of their strategy team, which, uh, which they can uh, brainstorm on different aspects and before they kind of go ahead. And uh, also with regard to introductions to co-investors uh, or introductions to investors for the next round or in introductions to potential partners and system integrators. So all this becomes a very uh, big value add for uh, companies who are in the initial uh, stages of their journey. So that's, that's basically where uh, uh, fund like Soon Ventures can kind of work with this uh, Well, I think you've really summed up what value add early stage VC funds can add to SaaS companies building out of India in one way or the other. And lastly, my question to you would be, if today a firm, a startup was building out of India, thinking about the globe, what are some things that they should keep in mind while building from day one? Yeah, I think the first and foremost thing that they need to uh, get it, get their act uh, from day one is uh, uh, product market fit. So basically, when even when they are designing their solution, first they need to look into the business problem that they're solving. How large is the business problem, and how uh, deep is the business problem? If the business problem is uh, very uh, like you know uh, poignant enough. Uh, so that uh, kind of any company or enterprise will take the bite to buy the solution. Uh, then I think they are like done the job. There are quite a few solutions which are like good to have. Those are the companies that are extremely difficult to have their uh, sales motion in place. Even they will probably having some trickles of revenue and after a lot of struggle, they will probably make it to 1 million mark or maybe max to 2 million mark. And beyond that, it's really difficult for them to so I think as a founder, you just look into that is that business problem, how deep is the business problem and how big is the business problem? Uh, I mean, large market size. Uh, and after that, uh, once they go about building their product, they need to start looking into is that, uh, is there already some existing players in that? Uh, what are the areas where I can start looking and providing the right differentiation of my product uh, or whether it's going to be a different uh, differentiation in terms of the market that I want to go at with probably the same features as competition competitors are offering, or I want to look into uh, uh, like a differentiation in terms of uh, uh, the pricing, or I want to look into the differentiation of you, uh, right dimension about customer success. So those are the areas that they have to kind of start looking into. And uh, also I would say that start looking into, especially for SaaS companies, uh, who have a base in India, start looking into the global markets from day one. Uh, so you may want to have some test customers in India, that's fine. But you got to start thinking as that now, how do I kind of go and uh, set up my uh, playbook for selling into the US markets to start with and probably then go for the European markets. That's very uh, like you know, uh, critical in their thought process. And uh, most of our founders, as I said previously, are good in the engineering side. But uh, I think they need uh, have a lot of focus on the go-to-market marketing and branding. I think they need to get their act right uh, and uh, go for the and then be 
Well, this has been a fantastic episode, Radesh. I think you finally summarized everything that we spoke over the course of the last sixty minutes or so into that one segment, which is the playbook or where people need to like really think about nailing aspects of their business to build good and very successful and businesses that can have longevity in the SaaS space. And uh, I'm really excited about Suvan Ventures and uh, the kind of investments that you'll make going forward. And I'm hoping we can collaborate in one way or the other as well. And I wish you luck. Um, you've obviously built a fantastic reputation with IBM and Arca. And I'm uh, really looking forward to the next chapter of your professional journey and uh, the kind of companies that will come out of your fund and the kind of scale that they will then reach. And I'll bring you back on the app, on the podcast sometime, uh, maybe a year from now, to really understand what your learnings have been, both from the whole fundraising journey, because I know we never got to touch upon that. That was one of the things I want to talk about, because um, you had most recently spent time here in the U.S., and I wanted to understand the LP appetite and how the LP sentiment had changed towards um, uh, Indian SaaS. And that narrative has been constantly changing. And even every six months, you have a conversation with a fund manager who is raising a fund in the enterprise aspect. You'll, I'm hearing very different um, LP perceptions and LP uh, thesis regarding this. So I would love to bring you on again sometime next year and talk about your whole fundraising journey and what the initial days of Sivan has been and the learnings that you've had. Um, even though it doesn't seem like what you're doing with Arca is very different from what you'll be doing right now. But it's still, because the nature of the market and how quickly it's evolving, the learning itself will turn out to be uh, extremely different. So um, thank you again for a wonderful 60, 65-minute odd chat here. I got to learn a lot more about um, the enterprise space and how you're thinking about investing in founders. And I think through this conversation, any founder who is listening will really understand how you are evaluating businesses and how they need to evaluate themselves before they approach a fund like yours or any fund that's evaluating a SaaS space. So um, again, thank you for being a guest on the show. Thank you, Akash. And thank you. Appreciate your wishes for Sewer Ventures. Uh, and uh, definitely uh, look forward for the conversation after a year. And a lot of learnings from Arca Venture Labs and my IBM strength which I'll be incorporating into Sewer Ventures. So uh, I'm uh, excited as well on my journey for Sewer Ventures. Well, unfortunately, we've come to the end of yet another insightful episode here on the DCVC podcast. Thank you so much, Radesh, for sharing your knowledge with us. I'm more than excited about Suwan Ventures and rooting for the fund's success in the coming years. If you're a SaaS founder, you definitely want to be getting in touch with Radesh. Either drop him a note or let me know and I'd be more than happy to put you guys in touch. Well, if you're like me and you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. It helps others discover the show. And most importantly, you will be up to date about all of our future releases. As we're inching closer to our 70th episode, the 70s are going to be filled with some fantastic guests. Make sure you tune back in again to see who we have in store. And until then, continue to keep hustling and stay safe, everybody.